We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Students, question. How old does someone have to be to be old? If you're to pick a number, how old does someone have to be to be considered old? Just write that down. Don't say it out loud just yet. Just yet. Old people. How old does somebody have to be to be old? Isn't it a, one day older than me? That's right. I hear you. I hear you. Isn't it amazing how that number changes over the course of your life? Um, I, I remember as a child, um, I, I thought, I mean, I really did. I, I mean, I can remember thinking, when you were 40, over for you, Jack. Um, you were old. I, I remember that. And that's why my 40th birthday, 30, that didn't bother me at all. Some people say yeah, it's just a number. 40 was kind of a rough number. I mean, I'm just being honest. It kind of caused me to think, 40, 40. I want you to think about that number 40 for just a minute this morning. It's amazing that in the story of Moses, we have almost a 40-year gap in his life. He is born, and then sometime as a toddler, we know that he's given up. He's given the name Moses by Pharaoh's daughter, and then we don't hear another word about Moses until he's 40. And the only reason I know that he was about 40 when we pick up the story is because Stephen gave a speech in Acts chapter 7 about Moses, and he tells us in Acts 7 that Moses was about 40 when the events that we're about to read take place, but that really shouldn't surprise us. Because if you think about it, the most famous person in the entire Bible is who? This one's easy. Jesus. Good, good. Give yourselves a hand. Jesus. We find in his life, right? Do you remember this? There is a gap between his, when he is 12 years old and when he is 30. So we find an 18-year gap in the most famous person in the whole Bible. So when we look at Moses' life, I want you to know that we have taken a radical jump that in these 40 years a lot has happened. But we know that in Moses' life that some things have changed. In fact, we also know that in Moses' life, he's had a turning point in his life. Now, the reason I know that is the Bible doesn't tell us this, but historians tell us that Pharaoh had no male heir. But Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, which meant that when we hear the title like the Disney show, The Prince of Egypt, that he literally was a prince of Egypt. In fact, some have argued that Moses stood in line to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. That if he would have kept on track, he had been educated. By the way, at that point in time, Egypt had the best educational standards in all of the world. He would have been trained, educated, and cultured in Egypt. He would have grown up. He's 40 years old now. In the South, we would have called him a grown man. Moses is a grown man, he's skilled, we know that, and yet we don't pick up his story until he is 40, and the reason is, is because a critical event happens when he's 40. He recognizes in his life 
that he is going to have to leave this princehood aside, this possibility of being the Pharaoh, the ruler of the biggest kingdom in all of the world, because he is going to make a decision to side with his people. And in this decision, though, we are going to see that if we aren't very careful, that it's possible to want to serve the Lord, but if we don't do it in his ways and in his time, what will end up happening is we'll end up jumping the gun. And that's what we find out in Moses' life, and we learn a lot about what it looks like to follow the Lord. Not only to follow the Lord's plan, but to follow the Lord's timing and to follow the Lord's methods as we read together in Exodus chapter 2. If you haven't turned there already, find Exodus chapter 2. You're going to see there in Exodus chapter 2, you're going to see that 40-year gap. When you read verse 10, that Moses was given his name because he was drawn out of the water, and then when we pick up in verse 11, the biography continues, but the biography continues probably about 37 years after verse 10 took place. So let's stand together and let's continue to read about this incredible Bible character. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to, the, to water their father's flock. And some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. And when the girls returned to Reuel, the father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. And during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Lord, teach us to be careful not to try to accomplish your plans by our methods. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated this morning? You'll see that is our big idea this morning. Be careful not to try and accomplish God's plans by your methods. It's a fascinating read here as you begin to put it together because we not only have this incredible story of the salvation of Moses as a baby, but we have him being taken in to Pharaoh's court and raised and cultured and educated. He grows up to the age of 40. We read the events that we just read, and then we see that he takes off into the desert of Midian. It is in the desert of Midian there that he establishes a family, and does anybody know how long he was in Midian? 40 years. He was 80. We have two 40-year chunks when finally chapter 2 ends and God calls him, the burning bush that we're going to study next week. He calls him then. Then Moses goes back, and you can remember the story of Moses. We have the story 
uh, of him calling down the ten plagues, the let my people go, been made famous by the Charlton Heston movie, and the people were let go. But because of their disobedience, how long did they stay in the wilderness? Forty years. Fast forward, Jesus rises from the dead. And Jesus stays with them for how long between His resurrection and His ascension? Forty days. We're seeing incredible parallels and chunks of His life. But I want you to see through this that what we're reading about is broad swaths, big time periods that are taking place. And as we study them together, we're going to see some things. And, and the first thing that we're going to see together is this. Number one, your way is often not the right way. Your way is often not the right way. Now, I debated with this point because I started to put your way is never the right way. But the only way your way might be the right way, the reason I put is not often the right way, is because you may be doing things according to the will of God. And if you are doing things according to the will of God, then your way is the right way. But the only way your way is the right way is if you're in God's will. So let's talk specifically about Moses in this passage. Now, what we figure out very quickly is that Moses is a murderer. Make no mistake about it. Moses is a murderer, but we find that Moses' heart was in the right place when he went out to them. And the reason that we know that is because he could have stayed in the palace. He could have stayed away from his people. He didn't have to even identify with the Hebrew people. But he went out, and we know that his heart went out to them, and it, God had already begun to work in his life about what he was going to call Moses to do. But Moses looks up, and he sees this Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew, and Moses jumps the gun, and what are we told? We're told that he murders him and buries him in the sand. Now, the reason I think that we need to spend a little time here is that we need to understand that Moses identifying with his people, that's what would be bragged on about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll talk about that more, but in the great roll call of faith that Moses left Pharaoh's kingdom that he identified with his people that part of it was fantastic that part of it Moses should be acclaimed for that he still cared about his people that he couldn't see, stand to see them being mistreated that he already had a desire for them to be delivered for that we need to recognize that God that Moses's heart was in the right place but your heart can be in the right place and you can still try to do things your way on your time and if you try to do things in your way on your time, even if your overall desire is right, you're going to find out that it's going to fail, and it's going to fail miserably. How many of you have ever gotten anxious, stressed out, worried, or depressed when things weren't happening the way you wanted them to happen? How many of you have ever gotten a little nervous when it didn't seem like God was moving quite like you thought He ought to move? Has God's timing ever seemed off to anybody in here? I don't know that if we actually were raising our hands, if any of you could not raise your hand at one of those questions. And so because of that, we often will get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, it's, that's when we start jumping the gun because we think, well, if God's not going to move like I think He ought to move, when I think He ought to move, then the best thing for me to do is help God out. How many of you have tried to help God out at some point in your life? You've pushed the envelope and you've tried to, to see if you could make things happen. Even though Moses had good intentions, 
What we know is that God, listen to me, God will never bless what He has not ordained. God will not bless what He has not ordained. So Moses decided to do it his way, and because of that, we see a 40-year setback. 40 years, four decades, that is an incredible amount of time. Now, at this point in the biblical record, you probably have already been reminded of a story that's already taken place inside the Pentateuch. In fact, in the book of Genesis, where people jumped the gun, God had promised them something, told them that he was going to deliver them, told them, let me give you another clue, that he was going to give them a child, and yet they decided that God wasn't moving fast enough. And when another decade passed, they said, we believe you, God, but since it's impossible for you to do it the way you said you were going to do it, we're going to help you out. By now, you probably know that, you, that I'm talking about Abram and Sarai. And what did they do? They decided that they had a better plan than God had, so they enlisted the help of a maidservant. Do you remember this story? Hagar was brought in, and all of a sudden, a child is born, but he is not the child of promise. He is Ishmael. And what we see in that story and in this story is that it is possible to want to follow God, to have godly desires, but to push and to try to do it your way. You can make the right decision and yet carry it out in the wrong way. Number two, number two, look at verse 12. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. And what did he do with him, church? He hit him in the sand. I want to tell you, friends, it is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Number two, it is dangerous when we care more about the eyes of men than we do the eyes of God. It is dangerous when we care more about the eyes of men than the eyes of God. What we see in this passage is that Moses is looking around everywhere. He's trying to see who might be watching. So he's looking horizontally, but the problem in this passage is that Moses never looks vertically. He never looks up at what it is that God may be desiring for him. So immediately he commits what most people would say is the most heinous sin that someone could commit. He took the life of another human being and immediately he starts the cover-up process. He starts digging a hole and he hid the Egyptian in the sand. But the problem, and many of you know this, you can't cover up sin. There's not a hole that you can dig that's deep enough in the sand. It's just a matter of time before the truth catches up. It's just a matter of time before the sand will yield its secrets. And hiding things doesn't erase them. It only postpones them. And eventually, whether it's the next day, the next week, or whether it's years later, those sins will come to bear. And I want you to know that even if you have been successful in covering up your sin in front of the eyes of men, the eyes of God go to and fro. And the Bible says in His omnipresence that He misses absolutely nothing. God saw Moses. And if Moses had been looking vertically and more worried about the eyes of God than the eyes of men, he would have recognized that. But then number three, we come to an important aspect of this story Important aspect 
really of every Bible story, but we find it highlighted in the person and work of Moses in this passage. Number three, spiritual ends will never be achieved by worldly means. Spiritual ends will never be achieved by worldly means. And that is the point that the church needs to hear today loud and clear. There is too much in the church of this believing that as long as we get people, as long as we assemble people, that it doesn't matter how we do it, as long as we're able to do it. And friends, whether it is in the church or in your individual life, it matters to God. It's not just about the ends, it's about the means. It's about how we go about it. And for Moses, he's learning that spiritual ends will never be achieved by worldly means. So I asked what I think is a simple question. And I just want to get straight to the point on this. If you murdered someone, would you go back to the scene of the crime the next day? I think that's a, something worth asking. Moses murders a guy, buries him in the sand, and the next day he goes back. Why? Because Moses, even in the midst of this, has bought into the lie that he is going to be the one responsible for liberating these people. So when he goes back, when he shows up, he thought that his plan was already underway. And he thought that even if people did know that they would sympathize with him, that they would see him as being strong, that they would see him as being someone who identified more with these Hebrew people than his Egyptian upbringing. But what ended up happening was just the opposite because they didn't see him the way they thought he would. When he shows up and he decides that he's going to take on this role of judge and juror between these two Hebrews and he involves himself in their fight, he realizes that he may have looked to and fro, but there was somebody that he didn't see. Not only the eyes of God, but the eyes of men had seen what he had done. And so he gets asked a question, who made you judge and ruler of us? What are you going to do? You're going to kill me too? And Moses knew he was in trouble because now the jig was up because these Hebrew people, they hadn't bought into his leadership, but he's got a, maybe an even bigger problem on his hand. He just showed his hand. He showed his hand, and now Pharaoh's going to know that he has killed an Egyptian slave master and that he has identified with the Hebrew people. So everything, we talk about turning points or tipping points in someone's life, everything about Moses' life has got to change radically now because he's been gone from being a prince to being a fugitive that quick. In one day's time, he goes from prince to fugitive, and now he's on the run. And we see that in the midst of this, that your plans, if they're not ordained by God, if they're not bathed in prayer, if they're not approached in humility, they won't go anywhere and they will accomplish nothing. A lot of times with high school seniors, we talk about what's the next step, where, where, where are you going to college, what, what are you going to major in, what do you want to do with your life, and those are worthy conversations. But whether it's with a high school senior or, or whether if it's with somebody old, like a 43-year-old. You need to know something. And I want you to hear me and hear me well. We live in a culture that has told you the lie that it is all about your dreams, that it's all about your hopes, that it's all about your aspirations, 
That it's all about your dreams coming true. And it's all about you making the most of your life. And I fear that even in the church, we have students and people that believe that. But the real issue should never be, how can my life be about me? The real issue in your life ought to be, what would it look like if my life was lived to the glory of God? What does God want out of my life? What does God want out of my plans? And instead of us making plans, because, oh, have I been guilty of this. Making plans and then bowing our heads and then telling God what we've planned. Any of you ever done this? Lord, this is what I've planned. I'd really appreciate it if you'd bless it. God can't stand that. And the reason He can't is because you make little plans. And because you make plans that are about you. And friends, if instead of telling God our plans, we opened up our life and say, Oh God, here I am. Here I am. Show me what it is that you want for my life. But the reason that a lot of people aren't willing to do that is because we live in a culture where we want to order Grubhub and we want it delivered in 30 minutes or less. We want to order from Amazon and we want it shipped the next day. We want everything immediately, don't we? It's punch and click and I want it here and now. And sometimes God makes you wait. And as parents, when our kids are struggling, sometimes we think because they're having to wait, it ought to be always our job to swoop in and alleviate any tension. And I would tell you that some of you know by now that the days and the hours that are spent in tension, that are spent in wrestling, that are spent in struggling, that are spent waiting on the Lord, sometimes are the greatest hours of your life because it's in that time that you seek Him. And maybe it is that He's not giving you the answer that you seek right now because He's preparing something and He's wanting you to learn to trust him in the midst of it and you aren't going to be able to order from God like from Grubhub you're not going to be able to punch and click and have it delivered tomorrow because he's God and you're not and so if we know that we learn that spiritual ends are never achieved never achieved by worldly means sometimes we're in a place where we worked so hard we've tried we pushed but nothing's worked and we seem to have gotten nowhere there comes a place where you have to run to the end of yourself. And that's exactly where Moses was. Can you think about the transition that Moses experienced in two weeks? Some of you have had a two-week period like this in your life. Everything went from great to horrible in a moment. He went from being the prince of Egypt. He went from having a great plan to liberate his people to being alone in the desert of Midian. I want you to know something about finding yourself in Midian. That this was a place that what we know about it is that it was hot, arid, desolate, sandy. And yet, there he is all by himself. Which leads me to number four. There is blessing in solitude. There is blessing in solitude. I'm worried about us. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm truly worried about a generation. And when I say a generation, I'm not just talking about high school students. I'm talking about all of us collectively. That we are all in a generation of people 
that are scared to death to be alone. You say, not me. Maybe not, and I hope that's true. But we are so connected that even if we are alone physically, there is very seldom a moment where there is enough time separated away from technology that we aren't distracted by everything else going on in our life. And I will tell you that it is very seldom that God moves in the lives of people if He doesn't have isolation. If He doesn't allow people to be in a place of solitude. He finds Himself in this place, a fugitive, before He had the best resume in the world. Educated, trained, son of Pharaoh. Now His resume means absolutely nothing. And yet, what most of us have found out is that solitude in one way or the other finds us and sometimes we don't choose it. Moses didn't choose it. Sometimes it's by diagnosis, a sickness. Sometimes it's when people desert you. Sometimes it's when friends do you wrong. Sometimes it's when you find yourself having moved and being in a place where you don't know everyone. But solitude can find itself, but in our rush to get out of it, sometimes we forget that we may have been placed in solitude for a very good reason. And that reason is, is that God wants to work and that God wants to do business in your life. That He wants you to get to a place. Do you notice where it says that Moses sat down by a well? Did you see that? Moses finally sits down. He's been trying to do things himself. He's been on the run. He's been murdering people. And finally, when he gets to the end of his rope, he sits down at this well and he finds himself completely and totally alone. We want to be movers and shakers. We want to be people that make things happen. And maybe it is today that you're struggling a little bit. I realize that. I'm, I'm a pastor, and some days you listen really well, and some days it's just tough, right? Some days we get distracted, and some days we've got a lot on our mind this week. So I want you to come in for just a minute. If, if you've been fading on me today, and today's just been one of those where it's been kind of tough, that's okay, but I want you to listen to me because I want to tell you two words that I think will change your life. Slow down. Slow down. Can I tell you something that I'm very guilty of? The Lord's really been working on me about this lately, and I've got a long way to go. But I rush when there's no reason to rush. I can't figure that out about my life. I'm in a hurry when there's no reason to be in a hurry. And and I've tried to figure out from the Lord what it is about me that causes that all the time, that I'm always just running and running and running or, or, or feel like there's more I ought to be doing or something else that's on the plate. Or, and, and very seldom I realize that I'm not getting out of life what I ought to be getting out of life because I'm rushing all the time to the next thing. I'm not stopping for any length of time. I'm not enjoying the moment a lot of the times. I'm not spending time in the solitude or in prayer or allowing God to stop me. And I'm telling you, it's dangerous. And some of you need to know that it is biblical, Psalm 46, to be still and know that He is God. To sit down for a minute, to slow down, and to allow yourself to reflect on what it is that God's doing in your life. And here's why you need to do that. This is my fifth point. I want you to hear this. This is why you need to slow down. 
Because whether or not you're 16 and you think 30 is ancient, or whether or not you're 92, God is not finished with you yet. God's not finished with you yet. I want you to think about Moses. Here he is, 40 years old, seemingly washed up. He's on the run as a fugitive. His resume means nothing. His family wants to kill him. The people that he thought he was going to save want nothing to do with him because they saw him as a probably as a spoiled brat prince that got to grow up in the midst of, of the lap of luxury while all of them were being beaten and placed into slavery. Now he's all alone, and the only people he knows are some sisters that came up and were trying to water some flocks. He didn't know he was going to meet his wife there. He didn't know he was going to meet his father-in-law there. He didn't know that in the midst of that, that life was actually going to start and that he was going to be in 40 years of training. 40 years! I lost my mind when they told me college was going to take four then they told me I needed to go to seminary. They told me that was going to take three. And then I decided that it would be a great idea to do doctoral work. And they told me that would take another three to four. And what I'm realizing now is that forget all the degrees. It takes a long time to learn things in life. Did you know that? How many of you know that you're 40, 50, 30, 40, 50, 60? How many of you know now that you didn't know anything then. I'm not saying you don't know anything. I'm just telling you that you're going to get to a place where you're realizing that it's the way it's supposed to be. God's teaching you and you're learning and you're learning wisdom and you're learning discernment and you're going to make mistakes and through those mistakes you're going to find yourself by wells of solitude and that God's going to place people into your life and through it all, if you're willing to learn and be teachable, God can do amazing things in your life if you don't think you know it all. If you don't think you've got it all figured out. If you don't think you're an expert in everything then God can teach you. One of the greatest things spiritually for someone to realize is I don't have it all figured out. Well, Moses ought to know that for sure at this point in his life. So he's open. He's open to the work of God. But he probably was tempted to think his life was over, finished, that he couldn't be used. He failed in a major way. He would failed according to the house of Pharaoh, but he'd also failed according to his own people. He had committed a horrendous act of murder, and so because of that, he had brought himself into this desert of Midian and just assumed that it's all over. I have found that not just with Moses, but with seemingly everyone I talked to, that there are a lot of Christian people, Christian people, that are thrilled to death to be a quote-unquote success for God. If God wants to bless me and give me awesome ministries and allow me uh, for it to be fruitful and place me in great places and place great people around me, Lord, I, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to be a success for you. The question is, are you willing to go to Midian? 
The question is, if God doesn't grant you all of your hopes and dreams and wishes, do you still want Him? Do you still love Him? Do you still want to follow Him? Because I'm telling you, friends, that what we think is, what we hear people talking about all the time, that God has this wonderful plan for your life. Please hear me. I don't want you to misunderstand me. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But that may not be your plan. It may not be what you want and what you desire and what you dream. And so what we have to say is, God, I'm willing to be a quote-unquote success for you, but God, I'm just willing to be yours. I'm willing to be yours in Egypt. I'm willing to be yours in Midian. I'm willing to be yours in Summit. I'm willing to be yours. And whatever it is that you teach me. And if I live a life of obscurity and no one knows my name but Jesus, then thank God for that. Or if my name is elevated to the heights and I'm placed on wonderful platforms, then praise God for that. But whatever it may be, Lord, allow me to have the influence that you desire me to have. And may I serve you in the desert or may I serve you in the city. May I serve you in health or may I serve you in sickness. May I serve you if I'm wealthy. May I serve you if I'm poor. It's not about what God gives you. It's about whether or not you serve Him no matter what state you're in. That's what Moses is being taught here. That God's not finished with him yet. But just like Moses, the devil would love to convince you that, he can't, that you can't be used of God. The devil is working right now to remind you of sins in your life and past mistakes and past relationships and past addictions and past problems that have rendered you useless to God. And unfortunately, the devil has made much headway in many Christian people's lives because they sat on the sideline and they said, you know, I, I can't do anything. Do you know what I've done? I can't tell you how many private conversations I've had with people. Oh, you don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. And often I find myself in Exodus chapter 2 and I ask the question, have you ever murdered somebody? One day somebody's going to say yes, and it's really going to scare me. But to date, nobody said yes. Nobody's told me they killed anybody. So then I said, well, if you haven't killed anybody, let me tell you the story of a murderer that God used to deliver an entire nation of people. And some of you need to recognize, not that you're proud of your sin, but that God can actually take that sin, redeem that sin, and then throw that sin in the devil's face when he takes it and makes you a witness to his grace and his glory because he's rescued you from it. Quit holding your head down, believing that your sin is going to be something that keeps you from serving the Lord and rise up and recognize that grace is not only for your salvation, but grace also equips you in your service for God. God is not finished with you yet. I couldn't help but this week spending some time in Hebrews chapter 11. It spends a lot of time talking about Moses. In fact, if you spend some time in your quiet time this week, you can read Hebrews eleven twenty four to 28. It's a roll call of faith, and it talks about Moses' faith. Do you know not one time in those verses that it ever mentions Moses' failure? Not one time does it ever mention Moses being a murderer. Not one time. That seems like a significant life event to leave out. Why? God said of Israel in Jeremiah 31, 34, that he would forget their sins. In Isaiah 38, 17, it says, You have cast all my sins behind your back. What does that mean? 
It means that God is totally separated from that. That Moses would no longer be identified as the murdering prince of Egypt, but he would be identified as the redeemed and forgiven deliverer of Israel by the power of God. And friends, you need to know that when God rewrites your story, that what we are now identified with, and oh, I love this, that our greatest part of our testimony... And I shared this about a good friend of mine recently, that the greatest part of our testimony is not what we were before. The greatest part of our testimony is what we are since. It's who I was before, then Christ, then what I've been since then. And friends, we need to be a people who glory more in who we are after our redemption than who we were before our redemption. I was dead in sin. I was going to hell. I was marked by sin, but the blood of Jesus covered me. And now it is that we give the testimony, just like this morning in the baptism, that I have been buried to the old life, and I have been raised in newness of life. All my sins have been washed away. That the blood of Jesus has covered them all. And friends, you need to have the faith to believe that if God says you are forgiven by grace through faith, this not of yourselves so that no one can boast, then you are forgiven. Quit walking in the light of your old self. Quit walking in the light of your past sin. Quit letting it define you and quit letting Satan lie to you. Get up off that mat of self-pity and serve the Lord with gladness because you can. Because His grace is sufficient for you. He's not through with you. He's not through with you. I want to jump ahead in the story a little bit. Because I want to prove to you that when God covers things up, they're covered up for good. Moses tried to cover up the man he murdered, dug a hole in the sand. You can't cover up your sin. But it wouldn't be very much later that after the people were finally let go, you remember what happened? Takes them to the Red Sea. They're hemmed in in the front and the back. And God opens up the Red Sea, dry land. We're going to talk about that in several weeks. But he gets to the other side. All the Egyptians are in the bottom of the Red Sea. And what happens? God covers them up. Never to be heard from again. God has the ability to cover up sin and to cover up things in a way that they never have to raise their ugly heads again. One of the reasons I know that is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away my sin what removes all the guilty stains what takes me from being dirty and marked as a sinner to being clean it is the blood of Jesus so think about these words oh precious is the flow that makes me some of you please believe that this morning Please believe the words to that hymn that it truly is that you have been washed in dazzling white, not because of who you are or because you haven't sinned, but even because of who you are and even because of your sin that Jesus has forgiven you anyway. And your faith is not in yourself. Your faith is in His grace. And your faith is in His blood. And your faith is in the cross. And your faith is in the resurrection. And so because of that, we recognize that we serve Him wholeheartedly because the same grace that delivered us is the same grace that equips us. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. 
For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.